Welcome to the Spa Doctor Podcast. I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. In today's podcast, we're covering how mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting can unlock your full potential. My guest is Emily Fletcher, who is the founder of Ziva Meditation and a leader in meditation for extraordinary performance. Her book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, debuted at number seven out of all books on Amazon when it was released. Emily has been featured in the New York Times, Good Morning America, The Today Show, Vogue, and ABC News. She's been named one of the top 100 women in wellness to watch, has taught more than 20,000 students around the world, and has spoken on meditation for performance at Apple, Google, and Harvard Business school. Her Ziva graduates include Oscar, Grammy, Tony, and Emmy Award winners, NBA players, Navy SEALs, Fortune 500 CEOs, and busy parents. Emily is back on the Spot Doctor podcast to cover more about meditation, but also how mindfulness ties in and how the two of these line up to help manifest life to the fullest in work, relationships, love, and much more. So please enjoy this interview. Emily, it's so great to have you back on the Spot Doctor podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I was was just alluding to when I was getting ready for this, I was thinking about how much I love you and how grateful I am to, we just, I feel like we just dance in the same circles and I just, I see you at this conference and then this conference. And I feel like every time I see you, you look more radiant, you look younger, you look more beautiful. And I'm just amazed at the fact that you're a doctor. Now you're telling me you're going back to enrich your degree in spiritual psychology and you're a mom and you're making everyone else happier and younger. And so I just wanted to toot your horn for a little while and say how, how grateful I am to be your friend and how proud I am of you. Oh, thank you, Emily. Mm-hmm. Well, and you've got some amazing things going on. You're just, you know, inspiring all amazing people to just fully step in and be more empowered and embrace more and, and helping women, entrepreneurs and children too. And you're a mom now. So lots, yeah. lots of was things I, unfolded. Was I a mom last time I was on? I can't remember. I have a, he was, he's 20 months old now. So I don't, I don't know when it was, but was I not even pregnant yet? Or was I pregnant? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a fun year. I have a 20 month old son and I guess I have one year old book. And as you know, birthing a book and a baby at the same time is is not a joke. Um, But it's been so fun to watch people's lives change through not only reading the book, but also implementing the tools that I teach inside of them. Because that's why we do this stuff, right? We just want to hand people the keys to the kingdom and give them the driving instructions so that they can own these practices and do them every day for life. Because, you know, one detox is not going to change your life. One day of meditation is not going to change your life. But if you make it a daily ritual, a daily habit, then it really can change your life. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Speaking of changing lives, mm-hmm. um, there's so much out there about meditation. Everybody seems to know of a meditation or has been taught meditation or most people or have some exposure to it, but not all meditations are the same. So tell us how, because you worked on this for a while and people come to you that are, um, you know, award-winning uh, actors and entrepreneurs that are super successful. And, 
and you're helping them even up their game more. So obviously you've got, you've got some insight into the types of meditation and what is really helping people with meditation and what may not be, it may be kind of like an empty practice. Mm. Yeah. So I think that when I started teaching nine years ago, I had the luxury and now I realize it was a luxury of taking people from zero to meditation. Like nine years ago, people were not talking about it like they are now. It was still fringe then. There were not apps. There were no online trainings. There were no books teaching you how to meditate. And so I had the luxury of taking virgin minds, virgin brains and being like, this is meditation. And, and it's so much easier to teach someone that's coming with no preconceived uh, what I would say misinformation. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And now when I'm teaching, I have to re-educate people to think that meditation is not just an app on your phone, right? Because that's what everyone thinks meditation is now. It's like, oh yeah, I have, I have three free apps on my phone. I'm like, do you use them? They're like, no. <laughs> Actually, you and I were at a conference together and I was speaking to someone on the, on the balcony and we were walking in like red wine in hand. And, and she said, what do you do? I said, I'm a meditation teacher. And she goes, oh my gosh. And she stops in her tracks. She pulls out her phone. She hits a button puts her phone back in her purse, continues to drink her red wine and walks into the party. And I was like, wait, what just happened? And she goes, well, I didn't, I have a meditation app and I didn't want to miss a day. And I was like, but you're not meditating. And she's like, I know, but I didn't want to miss a day. I was like, who are you lying to? <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. Um, anyway, look, there's nothing wrong with meditation apps. And I think they've been a great gateway drug and they're helping a lot of people to deal with their stress in the now. And, and interestingly, what I would call mindfulness is actually what most people are calling meditation apps. And I would define mindfulness as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. So you're, you're stressed at work, your kids are going crazy, you're in traffic, you get home, you do 10 minutes of headspace, 10 minutes of calm, you feel better in the now. Awesome. Great. The meditation portion of the Ziva technique is all about getting rid of your stress from the past all that stuff we've been storing in our cellular and now we even know in our epigenetic memory. And, and that's what I found really gives you that ROI. I think that's why high performers come to me because I mean, all of us, time is our most valuable resource. But if you're a CEO of a company, if you're an Oscar award winner, if you're an actor working 17 hour days on set, you know, time is even more precious. And, and what I love about Ziva is that you're not spending your time, you're investing your time because none of us have time to spend. None of us have time to waste. And so if your practice is not giving you an ROI, if you're not seeing that you have more productivity, more energy, better sleep, better sex drive, better ideas, then I would say stop doing it. Like don't do a meditation practice that's stealing your time. You know, if you're not really getting that precipitous, like, oh, I, I have more time now, I would say it might be time to adjust practices. Hmm. So I like that. Um, so let's talk more about what people should expect from a good meditation practice because the things that you're talking about are the things that everybody wants mm -hmm. how quickly should people expect to get those results well everyone's nervous system is different and everyone's level of trauma is different but there are some patterns that i see and, and i'll speak now about my live classes so i teach in person and we also have an online training and i would say if you wanted to think about the different kind of levels of learning ziva the live is like the maserati the online is a really great Toyota and the book is an adorable Vespa. Like they're all going to get you there. It's just to varying degrees of, and, and powers. Um, but when I teach people in person, usually the first day they're like, that was cool, but I'm not really sure. And like, whoa, I, I, 
oh, you know, it's different, but they don't, they just chalk it up to like, well, maybe I was just tired or something. And then day two, they're like, oh, the birds are chirping and the apple tastes sweeter. And I could feel the sponge tip applicator of my eyeshadow on my face. And I was nice on the subway. And, but they're like, well, ah, maybe I was just in a good mood. And then by day three, that's when, that's when the S starts to hit the fan. That's when stuff starts to bubble up a little bit because Diva does create uh, a bit of a catharsis or a, a healing detoxification. And then people can get a little tired, a little sad, a little angry as that lifetime of trauma starts to come up and out. And that's really where my job becomes a job. You know, I've been through that process myself. I've helped 20,000 people through it. And that's why I think it's important to have some sort of guidance if you're going to do a meditation practice that is promising to heal the the old stresses in your body because most of us need some support through that because it's you know there's a reason why there's billion dollar industries built on top of ensuring that we never have to feel our feelings and then the meditation makes the feeling non-negotiable it rings you out so if you're looking to meditation exclusively to be a reprieve or a vacation from your brain ziva is not your answer because it's it's not tw about 20 minutes of feeling good it is about systematically eradicating the entire backlog of stresses you've ever accumulated and that's a process. So once people move into that intensity, that can be a couple of days, sometimes even a couple of weeks. Um, with a lot of trauma and inherited trauma, it can be months. Um, but all the while, they're seeing upgrades. You know, they might be crying, but also they're happier. So it's like a bit of a pendulum swing. And that happens for the first few two to three months. And then after that, most people are just uh, like upgrade, upgrade, like a shedding of skin. You know, just each meditation, day by day, we get lighter, we get brighter, we get happier, our sleep gets better. But it is a practice, and it is probably more gradual than most of us would like. You know, we'd love to just go do ayahuasca for three days and come back enlightened, and that's not to diss that, but I think we need all the tools. You know, we can have these massive shifts, but we also have to be doing the daily practices to accompany them. That's so true. We just can't expect to go and do a medita meditation retreat on a weekend and then come back and for it to last forever without continuing to do the work, right? You have mm -hmm. to yeah, just like exercise, just like skincare. You know, it's like you gotta wash your face every day. You gotta exercise pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so can you tell us, uh, like, how does that work? How is how is your meditation technique? How does that help clear and clean up things that hurt from the past? Mm -hmm. So. The Ziva technique is a, it's a trifecta of mindfulness. Like I said, we use that as the appetizer. The main course is meditation, which is getting rid of that stress from the past. And then we end with manifesting, which is you know imagining your dreams as if they're happening now, helping you to get clarity on your dreams for the future. Um, but the meditation really is the main course. And that's where that ROI happens. That's why people start to see this increase in cognitive and physical performance capabilities. And the mechanism that we're using is we use something called a mantra, and that word has been very hijacked by the wellness industry. A lot of people are using that term as a slogan or a saying or an affirmation. And look, I'm all about affirmations. I use them when I work out. I think they're great, but they're not the same thing as mantras. Mantra is a Sanskrit word. Man means mind, trut means vehicle. And so we're using these mind vehicles and the whole point of them, the ones I teach in the live class, they're meaningless primordial sounds. And 
the sound quality of the mantra helps to de-excite the nervous system. And that might sound like witchcraft, but if you've ever studied cymatics, which C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S, the science of sound, um, or if you've ever done a sound bath or like, like heard a gong or a singing bowl, um, then you know that that vibration, that sound can do something to your body. And there's actually cool YouTube videos you can watch where they have a sheet of metal and they'll pour a blob of sand on it and then they'll play music at a certain frequency. And that, that, blob of sand will take these beautiful sacred geometric shapes and patterns and so something similar is happening in the body even though we're thinking the mantra silently even imagining it even having just like we can have a a visual without seeing something i could say imagine a purple elephant and we could all see a purple elephant i could also say why don't you hear somewhere over the rainbow and without you actually singing it you can hear it in your mind's ear and so similarly, these mantras, that, that sound quality of the mantra helps to de-excite the nervous system. And when you de-excite something, you create order. And when you create order in your body, that is the mechanism by which this lifetime of stress can start to come up and out. I don't think that nature intended for us to be sick, tired, and stressed all the time. I think that stress is trying to leave the building. But if we don't ever give the body the rest that it needs, it's very hard for the body to create order and for that stress to leave. Hmm. Maybe a better analogy is every time we've ever been in fight or flight, it's left an open window on our brain computer. It's like a premature cognitive commitment or PCC. By the time the average adult is 20, we have about 10 million of those open windows on our brain computer. And that's what's making us stupid, sick, and slow. And so meditation, we just go in and bit by bit, window by window, we close down or yeah, we close those windows down. And then we have more of our computing power and battery power for the task at hand. Hmm. That makes sense. Um, you know, a lot of people think that they don't have time for meditation. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, does it, does it take a lot of time? Do you need a lot of time for meditation? I mean, there are a lots of different styles and some people go away for 10 days. Some people, you know, do all kinds of things at Ziva. I get that time is your most valuable resource. I do tend to work with high performers, like you said, entrepreneurs, moms, TV, you know, folks. And so what we recommend is after you graduate from the training, we recommend 15 minutes twice a day. That's what I teach in the book. That's what I teach in the online course. And look, even that sounds like a lot. I get it. 30 minutes a day. People are like, are you out of your mind? I don't even have 10 minutes to myself. And, and most people who have that narrative likely aren't really truly accurately one budgeting their time, but two gauging the impact of just how much stress is costing you. Right, like it's like this. Um, we don't even know the opportunity cost of stress if we've never seen ourselves without it. And if you're in overwhelm and living with anxiety and not sleeping well and not exercising, then of course you think you have no time. But if you were to insert this meditation practice and maybe your sleep became a little bit more efficient, so maybe you need a little less of it, maybe your workout becomes a little more efficient because you're not as inflamed because you don't have that acidic, you know, adrenaline and cortisol coursing through your body. So your overall inflammation goes down a little bit. If you're not getting sick as often, so you're getting back those sick days. If you're making less mistakes, um, so you don't have to waste your time cleaning up those mistakes. If you're making better decisions, so not having to rewind bad decisions, this is all of the way that stress is costing us. You know, they did a study at Aetna, which is a giant insurance firm. The CEO learned to meditate. It changed his life. So he brought in, and this is just mindfulness. He brought in a mindfulness training, an eight-week mindfulness training for, it was something like 20,000 of his employees. And they noticed that 
per employee, they gained three hours of productivity a week and they saved the company about $3,000 a year. And that's just with mindfulness. Dr. Mark Hyman, who's a mutual friend of ours, he says for the few minutes a day I invest in Ziva, I get back three hours of productivity a day. And Mark Hyman does not have extra time. You know, he's written a thousand New York Times bestselling books. He's a dad. He's traveling all over the world. He's running the Cleveland Clinic. He's speaking to Congress. You know, like he's busy. And yet he knows that he's more productive. His, his time is more efficient if he's less stressed. Yeah. It's definitely um, a matter of being mindful of our, how we manage our time. And mm -hmm. uh, because 15 minutes can be a long time and it can be a short time, just depending on how, how we use it. That's right. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, but 15 minutes overall, twice a day, that's, that's really, who doesn't have that? Especially mm -hmm. gives you better sleep, gives you better pro productivity, focus, uh, more energy, yeah, things you were talking about. And when people are really committed to that argument, I'm really like, hand me your phone real quick. And then we just check their social media usage. <laughs> and if it's like, you know, an hour and a half a day, you're like, okay, well, what if 30 of those minutes you use meditating instead of scrolling through Instagram and stressing yourself out because everyone else's life is better than yours? <laughs> might, you know, might be a better usage of time. Okay. So you talked about different ways to use your technique. You have the book, you have the course, and then you have an online program too. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we do. It's called Ziva Online. And it's actually now become our flagship training. It's the way that most people learn Ziva. And it's, it's great. I mean, I'm biased, but it's, it's not an app, meaning that you don't just log in every day. I'm not guiding you through every day. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom and the driving instructions. So you do 15 days of training. It's about 15 minutes a day for 15 days. And then you have these tools to take with you for life. You don't need me anymore once you graduate. And one thing I'm really proud of is we just learned that most, most online courses have a 3% completion rate, which is abysmal. 3%. Ours has a 70% completion rate. Wow. So I was very proud of that. So even though I want the other 30% to be graduating, it's like, that's like a thousand X more than most courses. So. Yeah. But how do you, I get like, I get the in-person and I get online, but how mm -hmm. do you teach something in a book? How do you teach yes. something in a book? I mean, it's a good question. And to be honest, it was an experiment. When the book came out, there weren't really any books that were teaching you how to meditate. So I didn't know if it was going to work or not. I mean, thankfully it does. And it, the book is changing people's lives. But basically you, you, you get very repetitive. You know, you say the same things a few times. And uh, I walk people through, like I, I walk them through one section and then I say, okay, close your eyes and practice this. You know, walk them through in writing. Okay, now close your eyes and do this. Because it's hard to read you know, meditation is an eyes closed activity and reading is an eyes open activity. So they can seem sort of counter to each other. So you just have to do it in digestible chunks where you read, close your eyes and do it, read, close your eyes and do it versus trying to walk people through the entire technique and expect them to memorize that or know it right off the bat. Also, there are um, a lot of bonus materials that, and not to like hawk my wares, but when people buy the book, there is a, a link in there that has a lot, a lot of audio bonuses, because I think that meditation is such a visceral experiential thing. I wanted people who need a little bit more handholding and a bit more guidance to have my, at least my audio guidance. And there are some videos as well. Um, so when you get the book, there's a link in there that says, go here if you want me guiding you through this exercise. So I know it's one thing to talk about meditation, another thing to do it. Is there anything that you could kind of 
give us a little bit of hint or a little bit of like a taste of what you do? Yeah. Well, I think what might be nice is actually to speak about the manifesting because it's, it's, there's plenty of mindfulness out there. If people want mindfulness, there's hundreds of free apps, hundreds of videos, like no one really needs me for just the mindfulness piece. The meditation takes me longer to teach, but the manifesting portion we could do a bit of right now, um, or at least speak about. So for me, the pro tip for manifesting, which I, I do get some eye rolls in New York City from people who are skeptics and they're like, oh gosh, Emily, you want me to secret my dreams? Um, but to me, manifesting simply means consciously creating a life you love. It's getting intentional about what you want your life to look like. And what I found is the magic sauce in manifesting is one, combining it with the meditation. That's, that's, uh, it matters. The state of consciousness that you're in when you're manifesting matters. So I think to do it right after you meditate is very powerful. If you don't yet have a meditation practice, you could do it on your way to sleep or right when you wake up in the morning. So just in that very de-excited state where the right and left hemispheres of the brain are talking to each other. Um, but to me, the other trick to manifesting is imagining your dream as if it's happening now. And that sounds simple, but what a lot of us are doing when we're praying or manifesting is that we're worshiping the space between where we are and where we think we should be. And that's actually the definition of stress. The space between where you are and where you think you should be is the only thing that makes stress in our lives. And so we, we don't wanna water those weeds when we're manifesting. Instead, we want to water the flowers. And so if your dream is to buy a house, you know, what would it feel like to have those keys in your hand and put them in the doorknob and open that door for the first time? Like what would it feel like to see your home decorated? And this just happened to me. Um, I've been in this house since April and we just finished decorating yesterday, but I just walked in and saw it decorated for the first time right before this podcast and it was like a tear inducing moment um so that feeling of joy of accomplishment of enthusiasm that's really the gift that we're giving ourselves when we manifest and it's really just about feeling good it's about almost tricking your cells into feeling like that dream is already here um, because then a couple of phenomenons happen when you, you self-sabotage less so when the opportunity comes you already believe that you deserve it because we don't get what we want in life, we get what we believe we deserve. And if you've been imagining this dream as your current reality, then when the opportunity comes, you're less likely to self-sabotage. Mm -hmm. And then also what we're doing when we're manifesting is that we're, we're programming something called the reticular activating system, the RAS. That's a bundle of neurons at the base of the brain. And the whole job of the reticular activating system is to be a filter. You know, at any given moment, we have millions of potential inputs available to us. And so the, the RAS has to filter out the noise and really focus on what's important. And if we're stressed, then it's really looking for fight or flight. What's going to kill me? Is that a tiger? Is this very poisonous? Will this chair fall out from beneath me? Is my boyfriend cheating on me? Are my kids safe? Am I going to be able to pay rent? You know, just the stress. And so if you meditate, get out of that fight or flight. One, you're opening up that RAS to have more space for new types of downloads. And then with the manifesting, it's like you're programming it. You're putting in the destination into your GPS so that it can filter in all of the opportunities that are gonna get you to your dream. But what a lot of us are doing is that we're not placing the order with the cosmic waitress at the cosmic restaurant. We're just like, I want more money. Or I want, I want a boyfriend. And we're, that's like going into a restaurant and saying like, I want food. And so we, we have to be specific and we have to imagine it as if it's happening now. And, and when, and I, I think one thing that you talked about is not just imagine it like it's happening now, but the, the joy we have in having it now, 
um, and not, uh, not being like afraid of it because I, it's sometimes that I think can create a block and Mm -hmm. yeah, it's all about the feeling. I mean, Neville Goddard wrote a book called feeling is the secret and it was written in the forties, I believe. So it's like a little bit misogynistic, the language in that he's, I'm going to (laughs) sneeze. Excuse me. Um, but he's basically like the terms that he uses of like husband and wife when he anthropomorphizes nature is a little old school, but I'll forgive him. And if you just take the concepts for what they are, it's pretty powerful. But the, the secret's in the title. The feeling is the secret. It's all about feeling good because we're never chasing the thing. We're always chasing the feeling we assume the thing will bring. And that's what I love about manifesting is that you can give yourself that gift right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to tying all this together, you said that you believe that doing a good meditation pro- uh, practice before you do any kind of manifesting um, uh, is, is an important kind of step-by-step process. Is that right? Yeah, I do think that if you, what, what I found is that the combination is so much more powerful. It's like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts meditation into manifesting is way better than meditating alone and way better than manifesting alone. Cause you could watch the secret on repeat and want, line your walls with vision boards. But if you're not meditating and your body is riddled with stress, chances are you don't believe that you deserve your desires. And again, we don't get what we want in life. We get what we believe we deserve. And so if you meditate first and then manifest, one, you're less stressed, so that reticular activating system is able to be programmed versus just being mired down with survival. And you're able to, if you have the, the gift of stillness and de-excitation that happens during meditation, it's easier for you to hear your own intuition. It's easier for you to even hear what your desires are. I ran a manifesting masterclass a few months ago and the number one, we, did, we surveyed everyone beforehand and out of 1,200 responses, 800 of them said their biggest challenge was that I don't know what I want. Hmm. So it's like, what, what's really going on there? What's underneath that? And I think that people do know what they want, but I think they're scared to admit it. I think people are scared to say it out loud or write it down because of the fear of the pain of the failure. And to me, that's the price of admission. You want to play big, you're going to fail. You know, I, I worked so hard, you know, day in and day out with a seven month old nursing around the clock for my book launch because I wanted it to be a New York Times bestseller. We made it to number seven out of all books on Amazon. It sold 50,000 copies. By all intents and purposes, this book has been a raging success and we didn't make the New York Times. So like I failed, you know what I mean? Price of admission. That doesn't mean that the manifestation doesn't work. You know, all these other things manifested, all these, all these lives have been changed for the better because of my selfish desire to get on the New York times, but it was never about me. It was never about my happiness coming on the other side of that one particular goal. And that's the other way that meditation can supercharge your manifesting practice is that it gets you out of the all be happy when syndrome, you know, the all be happy when I have a boyfriend, when I have a million dollars, when I get this job, when I get on vacation, when I can finally check my emails again after this vacation, you know, we just do these little, we play these little loops in our minds. And if you're in the all be happy when syndrome, then likely you have a death grip on your desires. And you think that if I manifest this thing, then I will be happy. And meditation flips that on its head. It floods your brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. You're able to access your happiness in the here, in the now, and yet you still have these desires. 
And so then the question becomes, well, why do I want to sleep with that guy? Why do I want a million dollars if I just meditated and I just access my fulfillment internally? And I would say that the answer to that is that your desires become an indicator of where nature wants to use you to deliver your fulfillment. It is no longer an indicator of where you need to go to fill yourself up. And that is a very powerful shift to make. Because if you're going through life with a bag of need, like, please complete me, please fill me up, please fulfill me, it's not sexy. You know, neediness is not sexy. Detachment is sexy. And meditation is giving you that detachment. It's giving you that access to your bliss in the only place that it resides. And then you're able to have a lighter touch, a lighter grip on your desires, which allows you to be in flow. It allows you to not be too attached to outcome or timing, which is oftentimes where people mess themselves up with the manifesting. Okay. So you're using the word detachment in a positive way, which I'm... Uh, like I'm a, I'm a little bit confused by that because, mm-hmm. you know, in a time when we talk about connection is so important, I don't want people to misinterpret that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, so can you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that because I think historically detachment has been, has had some negative connotations, especially when we're dealing with depression epidemics. And I think detachment can be an unhealthy byproduct of depression. That's not the way that I'm using detachment. And maybe I'll find a better word. But to me, detachment means that beautiful, confident knowingness, that groundedness that comes from knowing that you are the key to your happiness, that your fulfillment lives internally. So I don't need this partner, this zero in my bank account, this one particular job in order for me to be happy. It's, it's that X factor that celebrities have, you know, when they walk in the room and they're like the coolest person in the room and everyone wants to talk to them. And they're like, well, I could talk to you or not, but either way, I'm good. You go to a job interview and you're like, you're not really sure if you even want the jobs. You're just there showing up as yourself and you're detached and funny and fun and charming. Um, You're on a date and like, you're just kind of on the date to have fun and be present, but you're not that interested. You're not like, please, please marry me because I'm 40 and my eggs are drying up and I don't want to dial in with cats eating my face. Like I'm just talking about like the opposite of that neediness, which is really self-sufficiency. That's not to, hmm, deny the importance of connection. We're all humans. We are social creatures. Yes, we need each other. So there is a level of need that we all have on other humans. And yes, money and food and all those things. Yes, they are needs. But I think for many of us, because we've lost that connection with ourselves, we've lost that ability to find our happiness internally, the need dial is is too high. We're too needy about the external validation without the internal validation. Right. And I think, you know, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, especially when you come from that place and you enter into a relationship and you're not coming from a place like I'm needy or I need a relationship to complete me, um, but that you feel fulfilled, you're going to attract the kind of partner that's going to just help you be more of who you are. And you're going to have this amazing union and do even more together. Like it's not that you can't have a relationship because you're so independent and you're like, I don't need anybody because I'm so awesome. It's not that. It's like you're allowing more of, of your greatness to, to unfold. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really well said. And it harkens to this concept in the Vedas 
which is uh, that relationships are an outlet for our fulfillment. That if you're 80% fulfilled, then you have 80% fulfillment to bring to the relationship. That relationship's not giving you the other 20%. That doesn't mean the relationship is bad or irrelevant. It's, it is great and it's a place for learning and it's a, it's a, we need outlets for our love. I think it's when we mess it up and we assume someone else is going to make us happy and no one can do that. And then we're mad at the person for not making us happy and then we think, well, our happiness must be in the next relationship. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, absolutely. Oh my gosh, so much there that we could just keep going on. And I, you know, I'm now thinking like, I want to come to one of your events. I'm going to come. <laughs> I would love nothing more. It'd be so fun to dive in with you. Because really, it's about the experience of it. Now, I've done TM, Transcendental mm -hmm. Meditation, and the the mantra. Is that similar to kind of what what your program is? So there are some similarities between the meditation portion of the Ziva technique and TM. Uh, a lot of people think the TM is a style of meditation, but it's actually the name of a company, um, like a name of this beautiful organization. And they, I think they're doing some great work in the world. And what I, for the first six years of my career, I was just teaching meditation. And then I started noticing that the world is filled with a few too many ex-meditators where people were starting and stopping, like getting the keys to the kingdom and putting them down. And that was baffling to me. I was like, I, what? Like, it, I just couldn't comprehend it. And so I started asking, you know, lots of questions and doing a deep dive and, and really figuring out what was the barrier to entry of people starting. And then also when people started, why were they stopping? And the barrier to entry to starting is usually the time piece, which we've addressed. But the reason why too many people were stopping, in my opinion, is that they were actually scared of the feelings. Like, you know, I kept talking about the detox and that purge of the stress from the past. Um, and because a lot of teachers, and this has been historically male-dominated lineages, um, they've not talked too much about that catharsis or enabled people to really process those emotions fully. And I noticed that a lot of people were like shooting into very high states of consciousness, but not fully doing that for lack of a better word, shadow work or clearing the trauma or really honestly looking at their past. It was just like, ah, oh, don't worry about that. Just eye on the prize. And, and so when I started asking the question, well, what do I have to bring to this party? How is divinity or how is, you know, divine spirit moving through me using Emily Fletcher in 2017, which is when I developed the Ziva technique, I realized that there does want to be a more of a feminine energy. And that is embracing those feelings, processing them fully, not pushing them to the side and really empowering and uh, educating people that it's a possibility and that there's nothing wrong with them if it happens and almost celebrating that release uh, versus brushing past it. And so once we've incorporated that and developed this trifecta of mindfulness, meditation and manifesting, which is one of the things that makes Ziva unique, um, I've noticed that the, the completion rate is higher, the adoption rate is higher, the, uh, the commitment is higher. People are just invested in the long term because they don't get so scared when the feelings come up. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to, so one of the things that, one last question for you, and that is around mm -hmm. religion and meditation. And um, there, I guess there are some people believe that if they are of a certain religious, like if they're Christian or different, have a religious background, that they, that meditation is, um, against their religious uh, practices. Do you, do you, what do you, how do you respond to that kind of question? Yeah. Thank you so much for asking it because I do think that it's a, it's a big deal and it can be a big fear or block 
point for folks. And, you know, I was raised Southern Baptist. I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. I teach in my hometown. And so it's come up quite a bit. And even in New York, you know, I've had rabbis take the course. I've had priests take the course. And, um, you know, they, they'll ask the question, you know, well, you know, I believe this and is this in conflict and what about this? And the, the simple answer is that this is not in conflict with any religion. It's, it's more of a hardware upgrade versus a software upgrade. Meaning like meditation is going to defrag your brain computer so that you can run whatever software you already have. And I'm, I'm using software as an analogy for religion or self-help or any philosophy that you believe I don't know any religion that's saying that you should have involuntary stress reactions on people, <laughs> you know, that you should like flip off your people on the highway or scream at your mother-in-law. Um, so we, most of us know how we should be acting, you know, exercise every day, call our mom more often, eat more vegetables, go to bed before midnight. Like we know how we should be acting. <laughs> most of us are not doing that. And that's not because we need more knowledge. It's because we act in accordance with the baseline level of stress in our nervous systems. And so Ziva and meditation, it's not gonna tell you how to act, it's just gonna allow you to act in accordance with what you already know to be true. And so what I've found is that if you're a Christian, it's gonna make you a better Christian because you're not having involuntary stress reactions, you're not losing your temper on people or making mistakes as often. If you're Jewish, it's likely gonna make you a better Jew, you're gonna feel more connected to your own intuition and your own, um, higher power, whatever you want to call that. The only folks that I say might have their world rocked a little bit are straight up full-blown atheists <laughs> because, you know, I'm like, look, we're just probably going to talk in three months because you're going to start to notice a lot of serendipity and synchronicity. <laughs> what you call that, I don't care. I just want you to experience it. <laughs> uh, that's, that's true. Um, all right. Well, this, this has been amazing. I, I love talking about meditation and manifesting and mindfulness. All of these things are, they're beautiful and juicy. And so, but, but tell everybody where they learn more about you, where you can get, where people can find your book, your program. Yeah, thanks for that. So everything is available at zivameditation.com. So it's kind of a weird word, but it's Z-I-V-A. Uh, it's a Sanskrit word that means bliss. Um, so it's zivameditation.com. And you can find the book. You can find Ziva online. You can find our live trainings there. And then the book is sold just wherever books are sold. Amazon, Audible, Kindle, however you like to get your books. And then we're all over social media at Ziva Meditation. Awesome. Emily, thanks so much for coming on again. And thank you for having me about meditation. Thank you. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Emily Fletcher to learn more about her, her program and her book. You can go to the go to the podcast page with her interview and you'll find all the information and links there. And while you're there, I invite you to join the spot doctor community. So you don't miss any of our upcoming shows and information. And if you haven't already found out your skin personality type, I encourage you to hop over to theskinquiz.com and take our free online quiz to find out what messages your skin might be trying to tell you about your health and your lifestyle and what you can do about it. Just go to theskinquiz.com. Also, I invite you to join us on social media. The Spa Doctor is on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest, and Twitter. Join the conversation there, and I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor Podcast.